scripture, to, scripture today, turn to Psalm 127. And I'll read the first, first two verses for us. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Thank you so much for reading that for us. Hi. How's it going? Great. Well, I'm Thomas. My name's Thomas, and I'm one of the pastors here at Parkview. Spend a lot of time at Central Campus helping out with community groups and classes, equipping, that kind of thing. Uh, today, Doug has so kindly, and Johnny Cash, have so kindly asked me to come preach the Bible. So, Psalm 127, a wonderful passage to remind us about what it means to have real significance. True success, meaning to build something that matters. That is what Psalm 127 especially verses 1 and 2, want to teach us today. And it seems incredibly uh, timely for us. Here we are. Uh, Christmas has passed. Sorry, we're quite a ways from the next time, but let's still sing about it. Uh, Christmas is behind us. The new year is in front of us, and it feels like this is just the season, uh, perhaps even in these next few days or a couple of weeks, where we begin to turn our gaze to a new year. Quite thankful, maybe, to see this one pass in the rearview mirror. Uh, some things to be thankful for, many things to be thankful for, some things that we will remember with less smiling, and we're looking toward a new year. And as Doug mentioned, we're looking at a year of renewal, in a year of renewal, as we've discerned the Lord's purposes for 2021 for Parkview Church and for us. What is a church, after all, but a group of individuals that we want to seek the Lord's renewing power to bring us into great spiritual vitality, newness of love for Christ, neighbor, and how should we do that? Well, Psalm 127 wants to teach us uh, just that. And here's why I want you to hear from Psalm 127 today. To achieve true success, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. To achieve true success, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. In this passage, we actually see two pictures of human endeavor, or two sets of pictures, I guess. One uh, that is blessed by God, and one that is not. And in understanding the difference between those two, we see how we can sit down this week, begin to make resolutions about the future, and understand the, our last year more accurately and uh, it's just as important to reflect well as it is to resolve well. So Psalm 127 will help us do both of those things by remembering that to achieve true success, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. So let's pray to the Lord now as we begin. Heavenly Father, oh, help us remember rightly. Help us reflect rightly. 
help us to assign the right value to the right moments, knowing and seeing your hand at work in this last year. It was a season you brought us into. It's a season you will bring us out of. We want to know where you're leading us. We really do. We don't enough, but we really do, Lord. Uh, increase our faith, we pray, that we can really trust you. Help us now to hear from your word. Help us to listen with the Holy Spirit's ears to what you want to teach us. And we pray, as we have so often in this season, Lord, that you will preserve uh, the sick and help those who are helpers and those who are hurting right now, whether it's from the ravages of this disease we are living through or um, the side effects of, of closing down things um, or just the anxiety of being alive right now um, seems to be just tuned up. We pray that you would re reveal yourself as you have and as we remembered last week as everlasting father, prince of peace to us in a special way. Do all this and more, we pray for your son's glory. Amen. Well, excellent. As I mentioned, to achieve true success, we do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. We got these two sets of images. The first, well, they're, they're sort of concurrent images, as we'll see. Psalm 127. You'll probably have this memorized by the end, so if, you, if you're like, man, we've read this a lot, that's okay. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. These first, this first verse uh, is sort of two images in one. First, we have a house, well, and then we have a city. Uh, in the first case, we have a house, uh, two houses. First one is built by the Lord, and the other is not built by the Lord, because unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Second, we have two cities, uh, one that's watched over by the Lord and one that's not. Both are watched over by human watchmen as well, but one is watched over by the Lord. Now. Simple, right? Okay. What I want to point out is that it's not, this passage does not say there are two houses. One is really great. And you can tell that it is built by the Lord. And it will never fall down. That's not what it says. Two houses, and in fact, it's intentionally vague. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. There's really no, okay. And then the city. It does not say, unless the Lord watches over the city, it will be overthrown. It is incredibly unspecific about what exactly it will mean that the Lord is watching over it, or that the Lord has built it. In fact, what we have is two houses sitting next to each other that by all outward appearances seem to be the same. Identical. Same nails, same roof, same carpet maybe. But one of them is vain. Empty. Hollow meaningless, pointless. Not because it'll eventually be destroyed, but because it is not operating within the will of its true creator, that is God. Same thing with the two cities. Two cities, one with an alert watchman, um, both, sorry, both with an alert watchman looking for enemies that might be on the horizon, uh, but one of them is not watched over by the Lord. Now, we get to a third image, like I said, a set of three images in verse two. It's vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, 
eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now the pattern has changed. That's one of the main ways that the Bible sort of demonstrates something, is you sort of have a pattern that then is interrupted. You know, it's sort of da, 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 da. Oh, whoa, listen up. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. To houses, to cities, to workers. But now we see a difference. For the one, rise up early and go late to rest, squeezing every single moment out of the day to ensure their protection, prosperity, and significance. And the other sleeps. Okay, now uh, we might be tempted to look at this and sort of say, ah, great, thank you, Pastor, I hear you. Uh, don't work too hard because the Lord has got it. I will go tell my unbelieving neighbors they're all just total workaholics and they really need to hear this because the Lord offers peace and blessing to the people who, you know, get it. Great. Well, I've got news. These are the songs of ascent. Psalm 127. If you read the little superscription there, it might be in your Bible. A song of ascents, which is not talking about mountain climbing or hiking. It's talking about the uh, three times a year process where the people of Israel would take a pil pilgrimage to Jerusalem, the capital city where the temple was, the, the dwelling place of God. Uh, and they would go three times a year. And uh, it was a city on a hill. And so you would ascend it. And while you're ascending it, here's some songs, okay? Sing these songs. And so they would. Uh, for, you know, faithful Israelites, by the way, they were going three times a year from the time they were pretty much born. This would have been an oldie for them. Everyone knows it, right? Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. They would have known this. This, that is to say, this is not a song for workaholic pagan people, unbelievers, who have to focus on their work, have to burn the candle at both ends, because otherwise they kind of have nothing going. They have no spiritual overseer to sort of make sure they're taken care of. No. Far from it. Psalm 127 was written for law-keeping, faithful, psalm-knowing Israelites. God, God cares so much about what we read today that he wanted his people to hear it three times a year, at least, every year, from the time they were born to the time they died. He wants them to hear, your methods matter to God. Your methods matter. Our methods make a difference. He cares how we get where we're going. As we stand here, we're on the precipice of a new year, uh, sort of looking back on 2020, looking toward 2021, maybe, maybe you're even sort of the type A person where you're going to actually sit down and write out your resolutions. Here's what I hope, you know, this next year will bring, my goals, all that sort of thing. Uh, or maybe it's just sort of in your mind. But here is what you must remember, and here's what the Lord wants us to remember. Well, he wants us to remember three times a year, apparently, so let's do that too. But uh, this year is this. Visible results cannot be our only criteria for success. Visible results 
That is to say, students, there is a way to build a GPA that, while completely within the rules, functionally denies God's presence and power. There is a way to build a bank account, or to watch over it, so to speak, that, while completely legal and fair, and in accordance with all regulations, uh, functionally contradicts God's will and his heart. There is a way, listen here, Parkview Church, there's a way to build a church that might appear successful and be completely within the rules, so to speak, but is functionally atheistic. Oof. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Our methods matter to God. That is, to achieve true success, we must do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Notice, there, it doesn't say, um, I, I like to point out things it doesn't say, I don't know why. It, it doesn't say, unless the Lord builds a house, there will be no house. Well, there's still work for us to do, okay? Uh, there is work to do. It's not sort of, this isn't a let go and let God, you know, sort of we'll pray it into existence somehow without actually doing what he's calling us to. No, no, no. Do, do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Whether we're thinking of our, our corporate body, our Parkview Church, us, all of us, look at us, uh, us. Whether we're thinking of that, you're thinking of your own household, building the house, you're thinking of your own life, what does God want to do with me this year? Results matter, but methods matter too. Uh, Francis Schaeffer is an American theologian. He founded the Labri uh, community in Switzerland in the 50s. Um, he wrote a book, and one of the chapters is called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way. I highly recommend you read it, Google it, read the whole thing. Uh, he says here, and by the way, listen, it was in the 50s and 60s. I think he wrote this book a little bit after that. But he said this, The central problem of our age is not liberalism or modernism or the old Roman Catholicism or the new Roman Catholicism, nor the threat of communism, nor even the threat of, ra of rationalism and the monolithic consensus which surrounds us. All these are dangerous, but not the primary threat. And listen up here. The real problem is this. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, individually or corporately, tending to do the Lord's work in the power of our own flesh, rather than of the Spirit. The central problem is always in the midst of the people of God, not in the circumstances that surround it. If this year has taught us anything, it's that our circumstances are going to change. <laughs> Things are going to be strange. This is not the end of it. In fact, it's probably just the case that it's introduced us to the reality that we're really not in control. Not that we were before, uh, but that it is just being pressed in upon us in a way that we could never ignore, that we just can't do it all. So, as we set this course for renewal, here we are in this first sermon, as Doug mentioned, looking at renewal, longing to pray. The first thing we do on a journey, our first step, literally, is to set our course. Which direction are we going? And as we think of the results, and it's, by the way, so important for us to be sitting, thinking, Lord, what do you want us to be? What, what kind of church do you desire? How can we be faithful to you? And of course, we're thinking, how can we be, how can we show the people of Iowa City what it would look like if the gospel were real, 
what kind of new, new place would it create? How can we show them heaven on earth? The results, that is. What would, it, what would the fruit be of that kind of thing? That we also think of the methods. How, how can we create it in a way that honors God as well? So, luckily, this passage doesn't just raise the question, it also begins to give us some answers. Thank God. Okay, so the first thing, like I said, sets of images, okay? On the one hand, a building not built by God, city not watched over, and so worker. Over here, a house indeed built by the Lord, built by a man, and yet in a much greater and more significant way, built by God, eternally meaningful. No matter what it looks like right now, it will live forever. Not vain, not empty, full of significance. The Lord is in the business of blessing his people. What, but what's the difference when we drill down into it? Well, in verse 2, we begin to see that difference, right? It's in vain you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious, anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved, that is the Lord, gives to his beloved sleep. From a distance, the two houses look very similar. But then you get up close, you take a peek in the window, something's different. At the one house, the light is always on. The candle is burning at both ends. They always seem to have the dark circles under their eyes. They are stressed beyond belief, no matter what their circumstances are. They might be abounding. They might have everything they need, and yet they can't seem to just put their head on the pillow. What's going on? At the other house, they're asleep. They're sleeping. Now, of course, when we read that and we go, oh, so this is that's the difference is we should get more sleep. Thanks, Pastor. Set my alarm clock of obedience tonight. No. Clearly, when we it's it's getting at something much deeper than simply are we getting eight hours a night. It's there's something more there. At the heart of the one house, of the vain house is the restless apprehensions of a person who doesn't really believe that the Lord could ever take care of them. Remember, this is for faithful people. This isn't for, okay, the unbelieving house, believing. No, this is for two houses that the Lord is with, but at the heart of one is the restless apprehension that doesn't really believe that the Father has them in his heart. So they have to use every ounce of energy, every ounce of bit of cunning, secular wisdom, whatever they can get their hands on, and every minute of their existence until they just drop tired of exhaustion at the end of the day to ensure a future that they desperately want. At the heart of the other house, the house that is eternally meaningful, is the calm unhurried, unharried peace of a person, a household that is sure that they have the heart of the Father in heaven who not only knows exactly what they need, but is powerful enough to deliver it, no matter what their circumstances look like. Uh, if you're familiar with the Gospels, or the four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in the Bible, um, a certain passage might spring to mind from the Sermon on the Mount. 
uh, and I'll actually read it. If you want to flip to Matthew 6, 25 through 33, I'll read it aloud, though. He says, therefore, I tell you, and th this, by the way, so the Sermon on the Mount, it's sort of Jesus' coming out party. He goes up, and he's going to tell God's people, what does it look like now that the kingdom has come in the person of Jesus? He says this, it looks like this, and I think he may have had Psalm 127 in mind. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. They're literally eating hand to mouth. Whatever appears on a tree, they eat. Okay? Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, you know, anxious toil, right? Saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? How are we going to take care of ourselves? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. A house built by the Lord, a city watched over the, by the Lord, a worker who labors in the Lord is at heart marked by one simple, solitary trait. A heart that rests in the fact that they are God's beloved child. He gives to his beloved sleep. To achieve true success, we must do so doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. And that means cultivating hearts that rest in the fact that we are God's beloved children. Whatever is needful, he brings. Whatever is not needful, he does not. So, if we think of this relationship that God truly is our beloved Father in heaven who will take care of our needs and therefore we don't need to be anxious about anything, what kind of hearts would we cultivate? I want to notice two things. Neediness and nearness. Walk into Parkview Church in a year and if we have cultivated these things, what will it look like? It will look like neediness and nearness. These, I think, are almost prerequisites for renewal. If, we re if we're serious about inviting the Lord to come and blow a fresh wind of spiritual vigor and vitality into us, we must cultivate neediness and nearness. That is, first of all, neediness. You know, it's, it's natural for us, and we literally, if you look at our statement of faith, we affirm with our voices and by checking boxes and so forth that salvation is of the Lord. Full stop. That is to say, when we come to Christ, it's not because uh, God was sort of looking for some good people, building his team with first-round draft picks from the world. No, in fact, he specializes in the lowly and weak. The people who make you sort of shrug. <laughs> okay, guess what? That's us. We didn't have anything to offer him, and he came and scooped us out of the muck and mire. He resuscitated us. Anyone see, ever heard anyone 
asking for resuscitation? No. Unconscious, he brought us back to life and filled us with his spirit. So now when we obey, it's ultimately also his doing. Now, it's so easy to begin the Christian life in that way, affirming, I am saved only by God's grace. Am I even, I, look around here. Can you believe it, Doug? Look, you and me. I know what I was. I kind of know what you were, but what? Okay, it's easy to start the Christian life that way, just a wash in the freshness of God's mercy toward me, having been made so aware of it that I just had to drop everything and run to him. It's easy to begin there and then instantly get down to the real hard work of the Christian life. Okay, now, thank you. Now it's time for me to really pull up my britches and get to work. Otherwise, nothing's going to really get done. Well, Francis Schaeffer also said this. He said, doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way is not a matter of being saved and then working hard. We must be radically in touch with our neediness, not just to begin the Christian life, but to take any meaningful step forward in the Christian life. If that's true at the individual level, how much more true is it at the corporate level, at the level of us all together? If we will truly pursue renewal as a church, we must be radically in touch with our neediness. As I was, as I was preparing for this, I sort of jokingly sent, I think, a message to Doug, and I think I said something like, unless the Lord writes the sermon, the pastor writes it in vain. That's, I think, first of all, so true, but I think you can insert just about anything. Unless the Lord, I think about this when I wake up in the morning and I read my Bible, and I realize that there's a reason that the Holy Spirit is called the teacher. Did you know you can spend hours reading the Bible? People do it all the time. Hours reading the Bible and actually be taught nothing by the Spirit because you haven't done so in neediness and the nearness of God? Unless the Lord does it, it simply won't happen. We can do all of the machinations and everything that looks like real ministry. And it is so easy for us to think, okay, we have a plan, we have a vision, we have, I think we have all the programs, we've got everything in place, and we've got everything we need, and I guess we should pray about it. Should we pray? Should we ask the Lord to baptize all of our plans that we've already made? <laughs> no, we should begin with prayer. That's why we're beginning with prayer. We should, we should be seeking God's presence and power for every single word that comes out of our mouth. Otherwise, it will be completely empty. It's not that we just sort of need the Lord's power at moments where we need big decisions made or when we've really, you know, a moment of trauma. Or mo Of course, we need him then. Those are the moments where where our vulnerability and neediness have been laid bare to us. But if those are the only moments when we really come to him in neediness, we're not really needy. <laughs> we're still working from our own power, our own cunning, our own brains, which God, God, thank you, God, for brains. But you've given us something better. We, there is no source of power for God's people outside of the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And so the first prerequisite for renewal is that we cultivate a sense of our abiding neediness. To the, to the degree that we humble ourselves before the Lord, that is the degree to which we will be filled with power from on high. And the Lord will build. He will use us to build. Secondly, nearness. 
God's power, if we are to access it and have it course through us, the, the wonderful thing about God's power is that he, it's not like a big candy bar that he sort of breaks off a chunk, gives us, hands us a bit, says that should be good for 50 or 60 years. Boom, out the door, thank you, good, you've got it. Or maybe, you know, something that he sort of lends to us and then, you know, sort of later asks her back. Rather, he doesn't just give us, you know, a bit, enough. He has given us 100% of his power. He has given us himself. God can never separate his power from his person. And so he has given us his Holy Spirit, the same spirit, by the way, through which, um, do you see the floor? It wouldn't exist without him. Did you know? Uh, the Bible actually tells us that God the Son, through the power of the Spirit, holds all of the atoms of creation together. And if he were to even stop for a second, everything would disintegrate. Living inside of us. So I think it's okay to despair of our own resources. <laughs> we must develop, therefore, an abiding relationship with God's Spirit. If we will, will know real power, we must listen to what he wants to teach us in the Bible. Not just at this moment in Psalm 127, but every time we wake up, we open our Bibles and we say, Lord, teach me. I cannot do it on my own. We must obey his urgings in our lives lives, to do what pleases him, to discern what pleases him. What would you like me to do? What would make you smile today, Lord, this year? As you sit down and think about your resolutions, those should be the kind of questions you're asking. What are you doing? Do you notice that? That's sort of the key thing of Psalm 127, is that, and maybe the big difference between these two houses, two cities and all, is that one has aligned itself with God's activity in the world, with God's purposes, with his will. There's a, there's a house that God's building. We want to be building the house that God's building. We want to build a church, but we want to build the church that God is building. We want, to, we want to live the 2021 that God is building. And so, God has not kept that a secret from us. That's good news. Uh, by his spirit in us, we can ask and begin to ascertain answers to those questions in our community, listening to the Bible, listening to one another as we speak into one another's lives with the power of the spirit. He's given us one another. He's given us his word. And we can begin to understand what God is doing. What kind of house is he building? What kind of life is he building? And most of all, and perhaps greatest and most mysterious of all, is that God has given us a direct line to ask those questions and to seek his power in prayer. Prayer would be impossible without the Spirit. Uh, and that is why, I mean, can you think of a better way to cultivate neediness and nearness than to drop on our knees every day and ask God to do what we just cannot do? That's why we're gonna spend the month of January praying because we are committed to the vision of Psalm 127 that if we don't invite and engage the Spirit's power to build what we cannot build, the nightmare is not that we would not build something, it's that we would build something empty. That in 20 years we would turn around and say, oh no, oh no. With the Lord's help, we will make it. So, on January 1st, I hope you will join, either in person or online, as we seek the Lord, to fill us with power, to, to remind us and comfort us in our neediness. Neediness is the Lord's way. 
It's wonderful. It's not bad. Vulnerability. I've been thinking about that a lot. As we think about Christ the Lord coming as a, not a warrior, not, not as a, the conquering king with the army of angels that maybe in kind of every other religion we might expect, but as a tiny itty-bitty baby. There was a point in Jesus' life where he weighed one gram. I mean, you could hold him in your arms and almost not realize he was there. I have a nine-week-old right now. He, is, he needs for everything. He can do almost nothing by himself. That is the posture that we are adopting in prayer. Do you know how he tells me what he needs? Wah! <laughs> we want to become good criers this year. Crying out to the Lord in the midst of our neediness. Not despising our neediness, but embracing it. Getting on our knees and saying, Lord, do what only you can do. Show us. Do us something amazing. So let's do that this year. Let's yearn for true success in our own lives and in our true family, our true home in the church by doing the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Let's pray now that God would do that. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your spirit that has attached us by faith to your son Jesus, the perfect son, so that when we come to you in prayer, we don't have to come with a report card that says, good boy, good girl, you've been good enough this week that I'll listen to you. We can come knowing that we're wrapped up in the perfection of Jesus so that when you look at us, you don't see our mess, but you see the perfection of Christ. Lord, remind us this week of our neediness, that we are desperate people. Push it in on our consciousness. And as we look toward a new year and we begin to, to think of what, what do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? What, what would real success look like, Lord? What do, what do you want to make me into this year? What do you want to make our church into? What do you want to make my family and friends and my community group and so on? What are you doing, Lord? Because we want to build what you are building. Show us, Lord. We want to marvel at you. Do all of this, we pray, and more, for the sake of your precious Son, Christ, for whom we devote all of the glory.